Hey, good morning, church. As Matt said, my name is Stuart. I get the privilege of serving as lead pastor here. So thankful you've joined us on this cold morning. Anybody, anybody like the cold? I mean, we all live in Florida, so we're all, okay, one person really likes the cold. Appreciate that, Tori. Uh, yeah. Vast majority of us, though, we're here because we don't like the cold. That's why we picked Florida, right? Uh, so thanks for making it out uh, this Sunday morning for this combined uh, worship service. If someone was sitting in your seat when you got here this morning, uh, that means they go to a different service as you, so it's a good opportunity to say, hey, we sit in the same seat. Uh, we've just never met. And so uh, glad to be with you guys this morning. Glad you're here uh, to finish 2023 and lead us into 2024. This is the time of year, right, when everybody is making resolutions. Uh, so the other day we were driving in the car two or three days ago, and um, uh, my, my kids were bored. It was a long trip, and uh, they were annoyed that we had you know, turned off the devices, and they had to suffer through a ride in the car without a screen in front of their faces. And it was just torture the way we punished our kids like that. Um, and so I was talking to them about resolutions. I was like, hey, New Year's is coming up, and people oftentimes make resolutions at this time of year. And my nine-year-old uh, uh, piped up, and he said, yeah, those are those things people say they're going to do, and they never do, right? It's a pretty astute observation from a nine-year-old, I thought. It's like, yeah, that's almost exactly what they are. Um, but as, as, as cynical as that view maybe is, I do think the turning of the calendar is a great opportunity. I do think the practice of looking back on the year behind and looking ahead to what's coming is valuable. It's good to set goals for ourselves and set uh, ambitions and dreams and desires for ourselves. And you probably have uh, New Year's resolutions. Many of them are the same every year, right? And so you're going to get healthy this year. Amen? Anybody? Amen? You guys aren't ready. To, you're not ready yet. It's fine. It's cool. Amen. There we go. We're going to get healthy this year. We're going to eat less and work out more and uh, maybe, maybe you have goals around your finances. Uh, you have uh, something you want to save towards or debt that you want to pay off. And so that's your goal uh, for the next year. And I feel like for all of the goals that you may have, someone is trying to sell you something that's going to get you there quickly, right? I mean, every, every, every uh, ad you see this time of year is, is about some kind of diet that promises to shed the pounds faster than ever before. I feel like every other uh, Instagram thing that pops up in my feed is telling me how I can uh, make money as a side hustle and this silver bullet, if I sign up for this thing, I'll all of a sudden be rich. And we, we're looking for this key that unlocks the goals that we have. And I would imagine by virtue of the fact that you're at church uh, on New Year's Eve, uh, when it's 30-something degrees outside, you may have some goals for your faith as well, right? You may be here and you may have some ambitions, some desires for what the next year will look like in your walk with the Lord and your faith. Maybe you've decided, hey, I want to be uh, more of a leader in my church, or I want to be more committed to showing up regularly at church, or I want to know Jesus more deeply. Maybe you've decided you want to be a better spouse or a better kid. There's a lot of kids in the room this morning. Maybe you have, you have goals in your spiritual life, an area of sin that you want to overcome, some kind of ambition there. I, I want to tell you this morning that there is a key that unlocks every one of those goals you have in your faith. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme or a, a diet that promises to deliver but doesn't do what it says it's going to do. But there really is, I'm convinced, in your faith, one tool that rises above them all that will help you achieve the goals that you have for your faith this year. 
And so I want to walk through what that might look like and how we might take advantage of this tool that God has given us. So if you have your Bible, flip open to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14 this morning and then roll on over into chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And I thank you especially as we turn the calendar from 2023 to 2024 for the firm foundation that your word provides for our life. We do not know what the future holds. We don't know what the next year has in store for us. We don't know if it'll be great. We don't know if it'll be awful. We don't know if it'll involve gain or loss. It is a mystery to us, but it's known to you. So Lord, as we step into uncertain territory, to uncharted waters, into a future that we don't know, Lord, I thank you that we can do so with a foundation as sure as your word. And so would you help us to build our lives upon your word? Would you help us to build our church on your word And God, more than anything, would you be glorified as we grow to know you and to love you through your word. Guide us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage in 2 Timothy is uh, part of a a larger collection of texts that were written by the Apostle Paul to uh, Timothy and another guy named Titus that that scholars, they call them the pastoral epistles, okay? And so these these are writings from Paul, and this particular one is to Timothy, his protege in the faith. And what Paul is doing is Paul is giving him instructions, giving Timothy instructions for how to lead the church that Timothy oversees in the city of Ephesus. And Paul is giving just a myriad of instructions here. And in the section that we read today, there's basically two parts to it. The end of chapter three that we read and the beginning of chapter four are two sections with a a, a unifying theme of scripture, of God's word. And he says, hey, Timothy, first, I want you to remember the scriptures for yourself. I want you to remember what you know about the scriptures, what you've learned about them. I want you as an individual person to continue to take hold of the Bible. And in the second portion in chapter four, verses one through four that we read, he's saying, hey, that same commitment that you personally have to the scriptures, I want want you to make sure that carries over into the church that you're leading and make sure your church has that same commitment to the scriptures. And that's going to be the structure for our time this morning. I'll try to keep it short. I know there's kids in the room. You guys feel free to be antsy. Moms and dads, let them, let them just, it'll be okay. We'll all be all right if they're a little antsy this morning. But that's what we're going to look at is one, the Bible for us as individuals and two, the Bible for us as a church. 
The Bible is an amazing book. This book, this scripture that you hold in your hands, or maybe you're flipping through with your thumb, is God's word to his people. This is something that we, as believers and, and people who are familiar with the Bible, we, we probably take advantage of it, and we probably take it for granted, right? But if you take a step back for a minute and think about what we hold here, that God has not left us alone in this world to wonder what he's like. He has not left us alone in this world to wonder how to make our way back to him. He has not left us alone to wonder how we should live or what he thinks or what the future holds even. But instead, in his kindness to us, God has revealed those things to us in the Bible. It's an amazing gift that we, I'm convinced, forget about a little too often. It contains, this text says, the very words breathed out by God, it says in verse 16 of chapter 3. And God breathes these words out through his Holy Spirit. He inspired 40 authors to write down what he said and they're recorded for us in these 66 books that we have. Both the Old and the New Testament inspired by God, Scripture, God's very words to us. And so Paul tells Timothy, he says, hey, that Scripture you know, he calls them the sacred writings, those, those, that Bible that you know, I, make sure you take hold of that. Make sure you don't let go of that. Make sure you don't forget about that. As you're juggling the challenges of leading a church and this new movement of God that's happening in the world, don't forget the scriptures. And he recounts for Timothy some of Timothy's own history with the Bible. You can look in verse 14 again if you have your scripture in front of you. He says, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood, it says, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. There's a few things we can learn just from this little summary of Timothy's upbringing in the Scriptures. First, it's clear that Timothy has learned the Bible. Timothy has learned the Scriptures. That means someone has endeavored to teach him the Bible. And he has endeavored to learn it, to listen, to understand it, to comprehend it, to make sense of it, to see how it works together. He's, he's invested his time and thoughts and energy into the Scriptures. He has learned the Bible. Paul also says that Timothy believed the Bible. And that's an important distinction, isn't it? There's an enormous gap between learning and knowing the Bible and believing the Bible. And there's a lot of people that know a lot of verses. You can walk into tons of churches today and find people that know the Bible. They know the verses. They can quote you chapter and verse. But it makes no difference on how they live. Why? Because there's a difference between knowing the Bible and believing the Bible. And Paul points that out here. He says, you didn't just know it, but you have believed the Scriptures. He also says that these Scriptures point to Jesus. Look back with me in verse Verse 15, the second half of verse 15 in chapter 3, he says, These scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's an interesting statement. Why? Timothy doesn't have the New Testament yet. Timothy, the New Testament's still being written. As Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, the New Testament is literally being written. So when Paul is talking about the scriptures to Timothy, He's speaking only of the Old Testament, and yet Paul says the Old Testament is enough to make you wise for salvation through Jesus. How is that possible? 
It's very simple. The entire Bible, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end, points to Jesus. This book, 66 books under one cover, 40 authors, has one unifying theme, one unifying purpose, one unifying goal and target and an aim, and it is the person and work of Jesus. The beginning of the Bible tells us how God created the entire world perfect, just the way he wanted to, and how people had fellowship with God and everything was awesome. But then it tells us about how God's people rebelled against his design and broke everything. Sin enters the world, and we continue to read in the scriptures how God creates a people out of, for himself, just out of nowhere, creates the nation of Israel for himself. And he forms a relationship with these people, and he gives these people a way to live, a law, a standard for how they might live their life. And we read throughout the Old Testament of these people trying to follow God's law and failing miserably. And that's kind of the cycle over and over. We're trying, we're not doing a good job. We're trying, we're not doing a good job. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in there as God is trying to bring about his Messiah through this people of Israel. We continue reading in the Old Testament and we find God promising into the future that he's going to send a king who will make it possible to reconcile between God and man once again. And you flip the page to the New Testament and we meet Jesus, who shows up fulfilling all of the prophecies the Old Testament made about him, fulfilling all of the laws that the Old Testament outlined that we should live. He fulfills it all perfectly. And then he goes to a cross, is hung there, dies, is buried, and rises again. And in his death, burial, and resurrection makes it possible for the gulf that was created in the first book of the Bible to be bridged by his sacrifice. The Bible goes on to tell the story of the church being established, a new people of God centered around Jesus and how this message of the gospel spread throughout all the world. And the Bible continues to explain what we should do with this message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And it concludes, the Bible does, exactly the way it began, with the people of God walking face-to-face with God in the new heaven and new earth, just as they did in the garden, everything perfect, sin gone, and relationship restored. The entire Bible is about Jesus. And so Paul says, don't forget this, Timothy. Don't forget the scriptures that you've learned. Don't let go of them. Don't forsake them. Stay centered on them. You, as an individual, stay centered on them, Timothy. What does this mean for us? Why does this matter to you and I is a question we can ask. Verses 16 and 17 kind of walk us through why this is important to us. The text says that all Scripture, this is chapter 3, verse 16, it says all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it lists four things. It says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. These four things, they form a, a chiasm, to use a really technical term, but it just, it's almost like a poetic structure to it. There's, there's two things that we should do, two things that we shouldn't do, and they're grouped together. And so teaching is telling us what we should believe. It's a positive term. When he says it's useful for teaching, it's useful for telling us what we should believe about the world, about God, about ourselves, about salvation, about all of those things. The next word, reproof, is the opposite. It, reproving someone is telling them what they should not believe. Okay? So this is still about our belief. The Bible is also uh, kind to tell us what we shouldn't believe, what we shouldn't trust, where we shouldn't look for salvation. 
And then correction tells us what we should do. It speaks to our conduct, how we should live, how we should operate, how we should function. And correction is what we should not do, what we should avoid doing, the things that the people of God ought not do. And then finally, training in righteousness are the things that we should do, the positive commands of how we should live and how we should go about our lives. There's an unmistakable connection, church, between belief and action. I alluded to this earlier. But the reason that the text spells out what we should and should not believe and then what we should not and should do is because those things are linked. What we believe influences and drives what we do. Rick Warren, famous pastor, recently retired from California, he's famous for saying that you only believe the parts of the Bible that you actually do. That's a little convicting, isn't it? And all he's doing is summarizing what James says when he says we shouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we should be doers of the word. This morning, I ask you, do you want to grow in your faith? Is that one of your goals for the next year, for 2024, that you would take steps forward in your faith? If that is true, then you must grow in your understanding and application of God's word. There's no other way to do it. Do you have sins that you want to overcome in your life, struggles or habits that you're trying to cast aside? You want to grow in your holiness? The word makes that possible. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 17. He said, sanctify them in your truth. What sanctified just means make holy. So sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said the word of God is part of the path to holiness. Do you want to be a better spouse, better husband or wife? The word is your answer to that as well. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 is a handbook for how to have a great marriage. Do you want to be a better kid in the room? Any kids in the room this morning? Do you want to be a better son or daughter? Has anybody set that resolution for yourself? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 gives you a few steps that you can take to be a better kid. Every mom and dad out there is flipping to that verse now. We're talking about this tonight. (laughs) Do you want to know Jesus better? Do you wish you know more about your Savior, about who he is and what he's like? Luke 24, 27 says that all of the scriptures point to him. And so if you want to know Jesus, here he is, the word made flesh, as John 1 says. Do you want more faith? Do you wish you had more confident faith? Where does the Bible say faith comes from? Hearing. And hearing, it says, by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Do you want to be a better leader? Maybe you have desires to step forward in your leadership in the church or in your home or in your work. The Bible says the map for servant leadership is found in Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28. Everything, whatever goal you have for your walk with Jesus, for your faith in Christ, this key to it is here in the scriptures. We could go on and on and on, but here's the point. Nothing is more important to your walk with God than the Bible. A few months ago, we had moved into a new house and was trying to assemble the trampoline for the kids. And this is a project that my wife, in the kindest way possible, saying, you better get this done to get these kids out of the house. She said it about that way. I needed to assemble the trampoline so the kids would get out of her hair and go outside, away from her. That was the goal. And so I gathered the parts, amen, exactly right. I gathered, gathered the parts for the trampoline, and it's no small task if you've ever done this. I hope none of you had to do that on Christmas Eve. There's no small task to assemble a trampoline, but I get all the pieces, the frame in, in order, and I get it all connected and set up, and everything's good. 
They spread out the big net, the big kind of webbing deal. And I go to get the springs, of which there are 96 springs that hold this trampoline onto the frame. So I put the first one on, connect it to the hook on the web, and then connect that to the, to the circular frame. Great, smooth sailing. I go, you have to go all the way to the other side and do the opposite one. I do the, the other one. A little, little tough to tug on, but we get it hooked on. I go to this side over here, do spring number three, get it hooked on, no problem. I go to this side, I do spring number four. It's tricky, but we got it. I'll tell you what, I got to spring number five, and by this time there's now tension in every direction of this trampoline. And I pull hook spring number five onto the ring, and I tug, 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 and it takes every ounce of strength I can to attach it to the frame for spring number five of 96. I knew there's a special tool they make for hooking the springs on the trampolines. It's a genius invention. It's a handle with a little hook. It's the most basic tool you've ever seen in your life. They exist. I own one. I could not find it. So the Lord is testing my sanctification out here as I'm tugging on these springs, doing all I can to get them. And finally, I was like, this is not going to happen. I abandoned the project. My wife gave me that look. A little while later, I was digging around in the toolbox in the garage for a different project that she had for me. And um, I found at the bottom of the toolbox the spring grabber tool thing. And let me tell you the joy that swept over my face when I find this little hook. So I grabbed my oldest and said, hey, you hold the box of springs, hand them to me. And me and him, we went boom, boom, boom. I mean, we were just rocking those things on there and we got the trampoline and everything was fantastic. I think for many of us, our walk with Jesus is a lot like me trying to put on those springs. We're trying to be somebody else, right? That's what New Year's resolutions are all about. We're trying to be somebody different, trying to be a better version of ourselves. And we're trying with all our might to pull ourselves into shape and to be the kind of Christians that we want to be and be the kind of husbands and wives we want to be and to be the kind of leaders we're supposed to be. And we can't make it work. It's too hard. We can see what we're supposed to do and we can't get there. And all the while, God is saying, I've created a tool for that. If you just pick it up and use it, you still got to do the work. You still got to put in some effort. It's still going to take some cooperation on your part. But God has given us the tool that we need to be the people he's called us to be. So I want to encourage you in this next year to make a plan for using the tool that God's given you. Make a plan for reading the scriptures. I'm curious if you have decided, now's a great day to decide what Bible reading plan you might use next year. I put a few in the weekly email we send out. I put a few in there on Friday. When, when that went out, you can grab one of those. I would encourage you to just pick any Bible plan. I mean, we have an embarrassment of riches in Bible study tools this day, right? I mean, every one of your phones you have in your pocket right now, you can open it up and with a simple Google, church, Google search or open it up the Bible app that you use, there'll be hundreds of reading plans on there. Just pick one. I don't care which one. Just get in the Bible and let it do its work on your heart. I think a second way that we can make sure that we're in God's word regularly is that we are gathering with the people of God around the word of God. That's what we do here on Sunday mornings. Which is a logical transition to the second and final point, kiddos. Is that the Bible is not just for us as individuals, but it's for us as a church. 
It follows that the Bible ought to be the bedrock for the church. We, as a church, let me tell you, we don't have anything else to offer you except for the Word of God. I don't have any good ideas. I don't have any novel approaches to life. I don't have any good tips. I just have what God says in his word. There's a reason when Paul transitions to talking about the church with Timothy, he gets real serious, doesn't he? Look at chapter four, verse one. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And then he reminds him, he says, who is gonna judge the living and the dead? In verse two, he says, preach the word. In light of all these things, Preach the word in your church, Timothy. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, that myself and every one of our pastors and every pastor who leads a church in some way is going to stand before God at the end of the age and give an account to him for how they've led their church. I can tell you, that one keeps me up at night. And when I stand before God, church, I don't want to tell him I gave them my ideas. I don't want to tell them I gave them some tips to make their life a little bit better. I want to be able to tell the Lord I gave them your word. What does this look like? What does this mean for our church? What ought it mean for other churches? It means we're going to preach the Bible here on Sunday mornings. I've told you that before and I'll continue to tell it, but we will continue to preach the scriptures here when we gather. What I mean by preach the scriptures is not give you an idea that I had and then find some Bible verses that help me explain that idea, but instead to give you the text of scripture, to give you God's word, and then tell you as faithfully as I know how to what it means and what we should do with it. And so we'll work through text of scripture, and I prefer to do this verse by verse, picking the book of the Bible, starting at the first chapter, first verse, and working through that. In fact, today's text is kind of an anomaly. I'm breaking my own rule to explain to you the rules. Don't worry, we'll fix it next week with Mark chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> we'll work through books of the Bible in order so that we get the whole counsel of God, as Paul says in another place. The vast majority of our time at our church will be spent doing that. We've, you've seen that already if you've been with us for a little while through the book of Colossians, through the book of Jonah, a short break for our Be Rich sermon series where we work through like four verses over and over and over again really deeply. It's great. And then we work through Luke. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that, but we work through the first two chapters of Luke in order um, for Advent. And now that Jesus has been born and grown up a little bit in Luke, we're going to flip over to Mark because Mark doesn't have a Christmas story. We'll flip over to Mark and continue working through Mark chapter 1 all the way through chapter 16. What this does for us, what this does for me, is it helps us avoid my pet topics. Every preacher has pet topics. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are things they like to come back to over and over again. They're their favorite things to preach. And I'll tell you, everybody's got them, and so do I. And by working through scriptures in order, I avoid the temptation to just give you what I want to talk about. Instead, I have to give you what's in front of me, what the text brings up next. It also models for our church how to study the Bible by working through it Observing what's in the text, interpreting what's in the text, and then applying what's in the text. The same thing we do here on Sunday mornings, you can do tomorrow morning in your Bible reading. It also fosters a deep understanding of the Bible. When the week before you got the context ahead of the passage you're reading, and then the week after you're getting the context behind the passage you're reading, you begin to see how all these scriptures fit together. They're not isolated, disjointed ideas. They're one grand story. So this is what we'll do, this is what we'll continue to do because 
I believe God requires it of us. That doesn't mean it's the only way you can preach the Bible, but I think it's the best way to be most faithful, most faithful to these commands here in 2 Timothy. It also means we've got to center our ministries on the Scripture too, right? What our kids need most is to know the Scriptures, to know the story of the Gospel, to know how all of the Scriptures point to Jesus and how to believe and put their faith in Him. That's what our kids' ministry needs, and we'll continue to prioritize that in kids' What our student ministry needs is not a cool place to hang out, not uh, some place that's fun and trendy, but they need to be taught what the Scripture says about Jesus. What our small groups need, adults, not just kids, we're students, what we need is we need to gather with other adults around the Bible and chew on the Bible together and apply it to our lives together and help one another live it out together. That's what our groups and classes ought to be about. What our women need in our church is to understand the Bible and apply it in ways that are unique to their lives as women. What our men need is a place to gather around the Bible and talk about it and apply it to their lives as men. Does this mean this is the only thing we'll do as a church? No, of course not. God calls us to many other things, and we will do those faithfully, but I am convinced this will be the primary thing we do as a church. Let's preach the word. Our church and every other Church exists to make disciples. That's the task Jesus has given the church. The only way to make disciples, which disciple just means a follower of Jesus, the only way to make disciples is to teach people who Jesus is and what he did for them. The end of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28, Jesus gives the church, the people of God, a commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what does he say next? teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is our mission as a church, is to know and understand God through his word. I can tell you it may not be the most popular way of doing church. I'm comfortable with that. It may make it harder to grow the church. And so if you're interested in seeing this church get big, this may disappoint you. Our text today we read, chapter 4, says people don't love this approach. People don't love the scripture. People want to hear what they want to hear. And if I don't give them, if we don't give them what they want to hear, they might give us two fingers and out of here. But this is the mandate that we've been given by God, isn't it? And so we're going to fulfill, to the best of our ability, the call to preach the word. So if you're deciding this morning, maybe, hey, is this a church for me? I want to encourage you. If the scriptures is not something that you want to be the centerpiece of your church experience, we're probably not the place for you, and that's okay. But if you want to know God and love God and know the gospel and know Jesus and connect with him and be encouraged through the scriptures, Fort Caroline is the place for that. So what do we do as we close? What do we do with this information? One, I want to say again, if you don't have a plan for reading God's word in the new year, do that. Start with that. Start with the scriptures. Devotional books are good that tell you about God, but reading God's word itself is the best way to do it. I know it sounds daunting to some of you, and that's okay. I want to encourage you to start small. Seriously, start small. Why do we fail at our New Year's resolutions, right? So we write down our New Year's resolutions that says, I'm going to run seven miles every morning, and I'm going to go to the gym for an hour and a half at 4 a.m., and then we wonder why the second week in January, we're not doing any of it anymore, right? We set our goals too high. The same is true with the scripture. I would encourage you to start small. If you are not reading your Bible on a regular basis, commit to five minutes a day. 
Can you do five minutes a day? Can we set our alarm for five minutes earlier or stay up five minutes later or steal five minutes from your lunch break at work, but just commit to five minutes a day? And start in the Gospel of Mark. Mark's a great place. It's a fast-paced, action-oriented book, and so hopefully won't bore you. And just read for five minutes. Set a timer on your phone. Don't worry about how many verses you read. Just read for five minutes. When the timer goes off, close it. Say, thank you, Lord. Would you help impress this upon my heart? And go about your day. I got to tell you, if you do that, if you go from zero to five minutes, and you do it consistently over a period of time, you will see your walk with the Lord change dramatically. Maybe you're already doing that. I would encourage you to add meditation. Not like, we're not talking about this stuff here, okay? (laughs) Meditation just means trying to move what we read in the Bible from here to here, okay? That's what we mean by meditation. Add five minutes to your Bible reading of just thinking, Lord, what is this? mean for my life? How can I change in response to this? Is there anything you want me to do in response to what I've read? Is there anything you want me to stop doing in response to what I've read? Is there anything you want me to say to someone in response to what I've read? Should I think differently about you because of what I read? Just ask yourself questions about the text and see if you can't move it from your head to your heart. Commit to five minutes reading, and if you're an overachiever, commit to five minutes reading, then five minutes meditating, and if you're really spiritual... Add five minutes of prayer onto the end of that. Respond to what you read in the Bible by praying it back to God. Lord, help me. You could use the pastors like today. Lord, help me to treasure your word. Help me to see it as your uh, inspired word. Help me to do what it says when it says to do it. Lord, help me apply this to my life. And I pray for my kids and my wife. And would you be with me as I have this hard conversation at work today? Use the scripture as a launching pad for prayer. And I tell you that 15 minutes a day, five minutes prayer, five minutes meditation, five minutes in the word, change everything for you spiritually. I'd also encourage you to make weekly church attendance a priority. I did not ask Pastor Matt to say it earlier, but the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. So Pastor Matt said it earlier. I said it earlier in the sermon. I'm going to say it again. I would encourage you to make this gathering a priority because I promise you, you'll get the scripture if you come. And centering your life and your family on the weekly gathering shows that you prioritize the preached word of God weekly. I wonder in your home, do, do people ask, are we going to church tomorrow? You ever get that question asked? Are we going to church tomorrow? And mom or dad has to make a call, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? What would it be like if in 2024, nobody asked that question because everyone knew we were going to church in the morning? How would that change things for your family? If your kids... Kids, you're going to have to hold your parents accountable to this. If your kids just knew our family goes to church and we're going to get up, even if we're tired, even if it's cold, even if we were traveling, even if we've got a lot to do today, we're going to get up and go and gather with the people of God around the word of God. I wonder what kind of impression that may make on your kids and your family if that was the priority for you. I'd encourage you to join and engage in a group or a Bible study too. Our church offers tons of options for these. There's topical studies around different life stage issues like grief share, financial peace. There's studies, uh, there's small groups that happen here on Sunday morning here. So you could just go to a group and then you could go to church or vice versa. We have them that meet off campus around town. There is a group for you and if there's not, the Lord's probably calling you to start it. But I would encourage you to find a group and gather with a people, a small group of people and talk through and chew on the scriptures together. Apply them in ways that are unique to you and your life stage and what's going on in your life with people who love you and care about you and will point you to Jesus. Finally, my last bit of encouragement for you would be to memorize the Bible. I know that sounds daunting, that sounds hard, but I would 
would encourage you to make an attempt at memorizing the Bible. What if, what if you committed to memorizing one verse of Scripture per month this year? Not once a week, not once a day, just once a month. It'd be 12 verses by the end of the year. Imagine if you did that for two and three and four and five and six years. Some of you math majors know how many that is. I have no idea, but it's a lot. I do remember 12. So if you did it for 12 years, it'd be 144 verses. The Bible says that God, through his spirit, brings scripture to mind when we need it. But it's tough for the spirit to do that if there's no scripture in there in the first place. But when we hide God's word in our heart, the Spirit is able to use it to help us live the way he's called us to live or speak what he wants us to speak at just the right moment. Commit to hiding God's word in your heart this year through memorization. A three-by-five note card on the mirror on your dashboard is all it takes. Make it the lock screen on your phone. You look at that 73 times a day. It'd be great. They make apps for it that are great. But just commit to memorizing Scripture. I don't know which of these you need to do. You, I, maybe you need to do all of them. I doubt it, right? This is, I'm just trying to give you tools, trying to give you ideas for how we can center our lives and our heart on the scriptures. So whatever you choose, I would just encourage you to make this a part of your plan for the next year. Make this your resolution to build your life on the scripture. God's word is a gift, church, and I want more than anything else as your pastor for you to press in to God's word this next year. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you've not left us alone, but instead have given us your word so that we might know you, know who you are, know what you've done for us. So we know, like Paul told Timothy, how to be wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Lord, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the scripture says. Lord, I pray that we would cling to it, that we would know Jesus through his word, that we would know you through your word. God, we can't be the people you've called us to be without it. We can't get to heaven without Jesus. We can't do any of these things without you. And so help us be people that pursue you through the scriptures. And would you change our lives through your word as we know you more and more deeply and you make us more and more like your son. So go before us into this next week. Go before us into this next year. So we follow you with everything we've got. In Jesus' name, amen.